0: Hi, this is Rupa. As I record this episode, the terror attacks in Brussels have just happened. The Republican candidates for president are calling for increased scrutiny of Muslim communities. Texas Senator Ted Cruz. We
1: need to be directing our efforts at stopping that from happening, stopping isolated communities from festering
2: jihadism
0: and former reality TV star Donald Trump, who's now probably the Republican nominee for president.
2: I would be very, very strong on visas, and I'd be very, very
1: probably end a lot of them.
0: Would you continue to support at least a temporary ban on all
3: Muslims coming into the United States? We have no choice.
0: That kind of talk, that's what Juliette Kayyem has been speaking back to her entire career. She's a former national security
3: advisor, and she's also Lebanese American. We have to maintain our American spirit and who we are as Americans because if we don't, it's not that the terrorists will win, it will be that we will be less safe. What has kept America relatively safe from the ethnic and racial killings that have swept most of the world for most of mankind? The real reason why is our capacity to integrate the other.
0: And that's what this episode is about, integration. Juliet defines it as anyone from anywhere in the world coming to America and feeling accepted, and like the American dream is possible for them too. Turns out that's a relatively new phenomenon, so I wanted to give you some context before going back to Juliet. I'm Rupa Shunoy, and this is Otherhood. Everyone knows about slavery in the U.S. and Jim Crow laws that enforced segregation. So how did America go from that to a multicultural society? I called Rose Viazor, a UC Davis law professor who just put out a book on this subject. She says until the 1960s, the U.S. had a quota system for who could come into this country. Many people from European countries were allowed in, but very few people from places like Africa, Asia and the Middle East.
1: Much of the history of immigration law was about excluding certain groups of people, primarily on the basis of race.
0: Many Asian people who did get into this country weren't allowed to be citizens. In the 1920s, a Japanese guy challenged that in front of the Supreme Court.
1: The Japanese said, look at my skin, I am white. And the court said in that case that, well, you're not white the way we understand white. White means you're know you Caucasian, you're from the Caucasus. So then three months later, this guy, He argued, well, I'm from the Caucasus Mountains, so I must be white. And the Supreme Court said, well, that's not what we meant. And so (laughs) we didn't mean that you're white, white.
0: Long story short, African-Americans had a lot to do with getting other brown people into this country. The Civil Rights Movement forced the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964, outlawing discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, And it isn't a coincidence that the immigration quota system was abolished just one year later.
1: The 1965 Act should be viewed as part of the overall civil rights movement, believing that just like domestically we ought to protect the rights of people to go to places of public accommodation, regardless of race, we should also ensure that our borders, no longer had these discriminatory barriers. At that point, things were supposed
0: to be different for people of color in the U.S. President Lyndon Johnson signed the Immigration Act at the feet of the Statue of Liberty and told Americans the U.S. would finally be the place it said it was on paper.
1: This measure that we will sign today will really make us truer to ourselves. It corrects a cruel and enduring wrong in the conduct of the American nation. It will strengthen us in a hundred unseen ways. With my signature, this system is abolished. We can now believe that it will never again shatter the gate to the American nation with the twin barriers of prejudice and privilege.
0: The years afterward were a post-Civil Rights Act era of possibility. To give you a sense of it, I'm going to subject you to a piece of tape I love.
4: Ready on the
2: stop? Yeah.
0: Jesse Jackson and a bunch of multicultural kids on Sesame Street in
2: 1971. Somebody. I may be on welfare. I may be on welfare.
3: But I am. But I am. Somebody. Somebody. My clothes are different. My clothes are different.
5: My face is different. My face is different. My hair
3: is different. But I, but I am somebody. somebody. I, am black. I am black, brown, brown. white. white.
5: I, speak a I speak a different language, but I must be respected, I must be respected. protected, protected.
4: Never, rejected. never rejected. I am, I am. Somebody. somebody. Give yourself a big hand.
0: Immigrants who came to this country bought into a feeling of renewed hope and possibility. They brought diversity to areas that had systematically driven it out, like my friend Lola Dada Ali's family.
5: I am the daughter of two West African immigrants who got married in the late 70s and moved to middle America.
0: Lola and I went to grad school together. On the day we graduated, we stood outside waiting for what seemed like hours in the hot sun.
5: I was I was questioning a lot of things. It's like I did. I, did I have to walk? Like did I have to? Your family's there. What are you gonna do? We had like
0: extended family. Yeah,
5: uh, yeah. It's yeah. Meaningful
0: to them because they, you know.
5: Exactly.
0: My dad had to rent his graduation gift. Oh. It's like when oh. they say that. Yeah, you
5: gotta walk. Oh.
0: Lola's a lawyer, and when she explains why, she sounds like many kids of immigrants.
5: I am someone who is a direct beneficiary of Supreme Court decisions and jurisprudence that have landed me here now in a lot of ways. Because of the court's decision to desegregate schools and, and discrimination in housing was how my parents, immigrants from Nigeria, were able to be the first family to buy a house in Orland Park, Illinois, which at the time was 99% white. It was 1985, which you would think, okay, it's the 80s; it shouldn't be as bad as maybe previous eras. But it was not easy. Got called the N-word early on in life. Had to come home and ask my mom, "What does that mean?" Oh, my God. But
2: am oh, so sorry.
5: <laughs> but at least, but at least, it created an environment where. My parents were able to choose the home of their liking, not restricted, based on neighborhood.
0: And you got to go to a particular school based on And I
5: got to go to a particular school, which was an amazing school. And then I was able to go on and play college sports. And I was able to get a scholarship that paid for my education.
0: All of those examples were reinforced by what Lola saw outside this country.
5: I wanted to be a lawyer once, ironically. I left the United States and went went to my familial home of Nigeria. And it was the first time I went alone. So I went to visit extended family, but it wasn't under the protection of my parents. Protection meaning... Oh, uh, I get it. Yeah. So I think they shielded me from certain things. And I think for the first time I realized how well I had it, because I met cousins in Nigeria who were way smarter than me, but because of life circumstance, they weren't able to have the same type of opportunities I was able to have because I was living in America. You saw what can happen when a country may have laws on the books but are not consistently executed the way they possibly could be. And in America, it's not that we don't have issues, but there are laws, at least. At least there's some type of legal remedy. But based on other people, based on not only where they were born, but where they end up, that's not even a thought. That's not even a possibility.
0: Like I said... Many kids of immigrants have a similar realization. That's why they have this fundamental belief in America. And that's why what's happening now is so confusing and frustrating for some of them. One example, Republican leaders in Congress are refusing to consider President Obama's Supreme Court justice nominee. The
5: Constitution clearly states, Article Two, section two, clearly states that a president shall nominate so I think there, there might be something more here. People are questioning the legitimacy of a sitting president, one who won twice.
0: One who happens to be black, had a Kenyan father, and had to display his birth certificate after persistent rumors that he wasn't born in this country.
5: There's obviously a section of this country that feels like maybe the country needs to be taken back. I still don't fully understand what that means because I grew up as a child of immigrants as well, thinking that America is for everyone. So I think there it represents that dichotomy, that there is one side thinking that America may not be for everyone.
0: The other side, though the side that thinks that America is for everyone, that side has gotten really big and really diverse since the Civil Rights and Immigration Acts were passed. And we're still working out how to live together and respect each other. For example... Chris Rock just got up in front of a bunch of really well-dressed famous people at the Oscars and chastised them for being racist, but also walked three grade school age kids onto the stage for this bit.
4: The result of tonight's Academy Awards have been tabulated by the accounting firm of Price, Waterhouse & Cooper. They sent us their most dedicated, accurate, and hard-working representatives. I want you to please welcome Ming Zhu, Bao Ling, and David Moskowitz.
0: That night, Twitter was a hotbed of infighting and infighting within infighting. Asians were pissed about that Asian joke. Latinos and other people of color also complained that Rock had only spoken for African-Americans instead of representing all minorities. Black people argued back that they shouldn't have to fight everyone's battles.
2: It's just a reflection on how minorities within minorities are, you know, we're just very different. There are things that unite us, but the differences should be acknowledged. Marcella Garcia
0: is a columnist and editorial board member for the Boston Globe.
2: This situation with the Oscars was very interesting because there were Latino people who got nominated and who won. And then within the Latina community, there was this debate. Well, these people are not really immigrants. These people do not represent, you know, the, the typical Mexican or Latino experience. And so that debate was, you know brewing within the Latino, about the Oscars, let alone, you know, African-Americans or Asians or whatnot. So they, I thought this was very interesting because there's people in the Latino community that feel that all oh, these people that don't represent us are not Latino or are not Mexican or, or you know, the, those people that do not have that representative immigrant experience You know, much like Cuban-Americans and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio or Latinos with the, you know, many people in the Latino community reject them and call them Latino in name only. And I fundamentally, I I just don't subscribe to that notion that, I mean, who am I to say you are Latino or you're not Latino, right? And that's why Marcella says... All this Trump phenomena has some silver linings for Latinos. And, And perhaps it's a, you know, half full glass type of argument. But I really do think that this was needed. This, I thought, would be the thing that would galvanize immigrant communities, not just Latinos, but immigrant communities. Everyone who Trump essentially bashes or rejects or labels the other. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some I assume are good people. Do you think that Black Lives Matter is dangerous when it or? I don't
1: know that. I can't answer that question. Nobody can. Who knows what's going on? All I know is that the police are tremendous people.
2: Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. He's based his campaign on, on hate and this fear of the other and rejection of people who don't look like their ideal of what America should be.
0: But some Latinos are supporting Trump.
2: Marcella says she has to explain why a lot. I laugh at this notion of people being shocked that there are Latinos that would support Trump. Of course there are, and I've heard many anecdotes. Are they, you know, significant in numbers? No, no, there's all, it's just anecdotal evidence. But. It's like, of course, we're going to have, you know, crazies, too. Of course, we're going to have radical people, too. Of course, we're going to have righties. Of course, we're going to have conservatives because we, we come from many different ideologies.
4: You know, this was something in the African-American community that, you know, we've dealt with for a long time. And the idea that how can a black person be a Republican?
0: Vincent Rougeau's dean of Boston College Law School. He's African-American, and he's written about the benefits of an America that increasingly isn't just black or white. I asked him for his perspective on how racial dynamics between minority groups have evolved since the 1960s.
4: You know, I think there's a long tradition in American history of dividing and conquering the weak and people of color. So, you know, we have this current flowing through our culture that's always suggested that, well, at least you're not black. At least you're not at the bottom.
0: How did that play out when the wave of immigration started in the 1960s?
4: You come here and you're saying, well, yeah, but those people are at the bottom. Do I really want to sort of cast my lot with them? So I think there's still this just racism is so pervasive that it's never really allowed for these groups to sort of see their commonality until maybe, you know, more recently, maybe it's starting to happen.
0: So some immigrants distance themselves from African-Americans. Do you think they have to acknowledge that, apologize?
4: I get the sense that African-Americans expect immigrants to justify the, the successes that they were able to achieve here in this country to the African American community in the same way that perhaps, you know, the, the native-born white community may, may there may be an expectation for them in that regard. There's nothing wrong with them coming here and working hard and, and making a success of it, except for the fact that some of that success is based on, on, on a structure and a hierarchy that uh, that does advantage them in some ways because they're not, African Americans. But I don't know what immigrants can do other than trying to work towards some solidarity.
0: So how do you unify a society made up of people from around the world?
4: I mean, I think that's one big question, you know, we need people to be to be engaged. And actually, we need some of these newer arrivals or the children of these newer arrivals to be engaged as well, but also to be engaged with a sense of, you know, shared responsibility and shared destiny. Now that you're here, you know, now that these these folks have become Americans, you own that history now, too. The story is your story now. And so any failures we've had as a country uh, in the past that have remained uncorrected are now all the responsibility of all of us to try to fix.
0: So how do people of color deal with all of this? the responsibility to unite and stand up for themselves and each other, but also recognize and respect our differences, including the right in some cases to support Trump. And Juliette Kayam says we should try to do all of that while also respecting the american of Trump supporters instead of writing them off. Juliet has a history of walking this line. It's basically been her job. She's a former assistant Homeland Security secretary and is now a national security analyst for CNN. She sits on the Homeland Security Advisory Committee and the Council on Foreign Relations. She hosts a podcast called Security Mom and
3: has a book of the same title. So like I got into counterterrorism before 9-11 and got various government positions, I think because I was Arab American, but the craziness about being arab american is what does that even mean there's so many different types of arab american i am an arab christian and lebanese that is about as parisian as you can get you know like i mean in other words like lebanese christians more identify with you know the french than they maybe do with the syrians right that that part of the civil war that existed in lebanon was a civil war between christians and and muslims but but i did get a variety of positions i know that because of my background because of Arab American, if not Muslim groups, were Uh, invested in having me be part of the conversation, the internal government conversations. Like I'm sort of sometimes called by my friends. I'm the Manchurian mom (laughs) that like somehow I've infiltrated, you know, the national security apparatus because my background is so diverse. So
0: did being Lebanese have anything to do with going into national
3: security? You know, people ask me that all the time. There's a fortuitousness to my career in the sense that I was appointed to the National Commission on Terrorism during the Clinton administration. This was well, before 9 11, and people had heard of bin Laden, but bin Laden had actually been responsible for the bombing of two US embassies in Africa. Remember this in 1998, I think. So they created, as they always do when they can't solve a hard problem, and they created a congressional commission. And I was uh, definitely <laughs> appointed sort of like the good Arab. And I know in various positions that I've gotten, every single article that has been written about it mentions, well, she's an Arab American. and. When I was appointed the National Commission on Terrorism, the New York Times did a story, and it, the and it was there had been controversies about the commission, and then and then my appointment, my slot, mm. and so when it got settled, the New York Times did a story, and the headline was Arab American appointed to National Commission on Terrorism, and my situ, my grandmother, called me, and. Uh, was really mad. And she said, you called the New York Times and you tell them you're not Arab American, you're Lebanese American. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, it's like to her, you just that that distinction was very significant. And where I was upset that the headline said Arab American, she was just upset. It, you know, it didn't say, you know, Lebanese American.
0: Why do you think immigrants try to distinguish themselves from one another, especially when they all have this
3: basic Americanness? Yeah, I mean, part of it is just they were different when they didn't live here, right? So that the communities that come over have their systemic differences anyway. And I think each immigrant experience is so different that I think it's hard to feel that others are like it. Like my family, my mother's family came over here from Lebanon uh, before the Civil War. And eventually my grandmother, we call her Situ in Arabic, uh, she had nine children. And their immigrant story or their move story is interesting because at that time, you know, Lebanon was very poor. They were looking for, you know, what America had to offer. And at the time, Cuba, pre-Castro, you uh, used to lure people from third world countries to say, oh, come to Cuba, it's easier to get to America (laughs) that way. And so my mom's family, she had a couple siblings born in Lebanon, then a couple in Cuba. And then they had to go back because this was all a fraud that Cuba had (laughs) perpetuated. They then went back to Lebanon. That's when my mother was born. Then eventually they made it to the United States and ended up in Kentucky and then California. How Kentucky? So, there, uh, so you know how these immigrant communities form. So one family goes there, and then they hear about Kentucky. There's a mythology that because it was horse country, you know, they have a lot of horses and, and sort of that culture in Kentucky, that it was appealing to Middle Eastern countries and the weather and everything else. They didn't stay very long. They ended up heading all the way to California. Mm-hmm. The funny story is for almost all my life, until I actually started to explore this as I got older, we had been told we being this massive clan of Lebanese Christian immigrants. <laughs> my mom has nine brothers and sisters. I have, I, I lose count, but, you know, close to 30 first cousins and like hundreds of people I'm related to and I have no idea their names like you know and uh, the mythology of any immigrant family sort of takes hold and you believe it as real until you actually have to prove it somehow. So I had grown up believing that this family, the Deeb family had come over through Ellis Island. And this is where the great immigrant That's experience That's what they told you. I honestly believe this is what they had all come to believe. Like the the myth, it's essentially a lie, I will admit, had been told so many times. And so it wasn't until about 10 years ago that one of my uncles, one of my many uncles who got into the online genealogy, realized that Ellis Island had closed a couple years before. <laughs> and so he's he's like, what is going on? And we finally realized that my situ, my grandmother, had come through other means with her children and, and then her husband. She eventually ended up divorcing her husband. And here's the funny thing is that she knew, my situ knew, she died over 10 years ago, but She knew that we all believed this lie, and she never corrected us. Like, it was like this thing. It was like it was part of the the sort of mythology of the immigrant experience. My uh father's family is from Lebanon, a much different story, more sort of middle class, upper middle class from Lebanon and was a, you know, did a lot of business and stuff. And so my father was actually born in Los Angeles and then met my mother because there's a very sort of, you know, insular, or then there was at least a Lebanese uh, crowd. And then I ended up marrying David, who's Jewish. And so then sort of the merging of those two cultures, because the Lebanese, or at least in these families, we tend to have like an open door policy, as my husband often says, if we ever get robbed, we'll have no idea who it is, because like 30 people have our keys to our house, you know, (laughs) where I think uh, David's family is a little bit more insular, that might be more personal than cultural, but that's the mythology of the story. And it's interesting, because I, you know, then spent a career in public safety, homeland security, national security, and had to get security clearances throughout each of these processes as my security clearance got higher and higher to top secret. And part of that is your foreign born relatives. And I always remember that when I had to designate where my mom's siblings had been born, the list was, you know, Lebanon, Lebanon, Havana, Havana, Lebanon, Lebanon, Kentucky, 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 you know, and I'm like, oh, this poor FBI agent, he's going to, you know, like, we're clearly terrorists or something, you know, that, uh, <laughs> what well, you have know, that little Cuba thing in there, he's not quite but sure how to worried? take it. You know, I have you know, this idea of proof, when you are from an immigrant family, proof of your Americanness, you know, is probably something that every immigrant family feels in some way. And I was sort of asked it directly through the security clearances. And it plays out in, in funny ways because the family, the Deeb family, my mom's side of the family had gone to Kentucky then they, and then, as I said, went to California. They sort of absorbed the most insane aspects of American culture, including having these parties for the kentucky derby so you can imagine in california there's this like huge lebanese mafia cl- hundreds of people and all dressed up to celebrate the kentucky derby with tvs and stuff with our hats you know the mint tulips, and like hummus and falafels like i'm like this isn't working you know this something's not right here but uh but you know i think each culture like wants to say well we're american we're going to do the kentucky derby <laughs> That was the thing they appropriated (laughs) for you. Even in California, it was like this, like, oh, well, Kentucky had embraced us from the beginning. The the, the mint juleps and the falafels was like a good combination. So the security clearance stuff, it always went through okay? It always went through okay. It was lots of proof and lots of eye-rolling on my mom's part and others, you know, because, you know, for them, they came to America at a time when assimilation was just, like, primary importance. So I was never taught Arabic, it was we are Americans. And so her documents, her proof of citizenship, and we didn't just have to do it for my mother, I had to do it for all foreign born relatives. It was like, a level of scrutiny that she felt, well, you know, what else do I need to prove? I've been here forever. We're mm-hmm. Americans, we've we've done everything right. I do remember one story it has not much to do with my work, but just to give you a sense of this idea of proof that I think sort of animate so many immigrant cultures, especially someone like my Situ, my grandmother, who had come over, you know, really, you know, with these kids, you know, nine kids, and she started having kids when she was 15. So the age difference between her and her eldest son is less than the difference between the eldest son and the youngest child she divorced my grandfather who we never speak of he's not that must uh, have been a big deal it was a big deal I mean I don't you know I it's like you know each family has their like I don't ask you know it's Mm -hmm. um uh I I know his first name that's all I essentially know but I remember when David and I went, I called it like the the test, you know, he he went to go meet the big Arab family in California after we'd been dating a while. And Situ had him cooking kibbeh, which is a Lebanese dish. And he did it horribly. It's a It's a complicated pastry dish with lamb. And so it's sort of hard to maneuver. And then as he was moving it, all the oil fell on the front of his pants so he's like covered in oil and so she this my situ was more than happy because now she could show her tremendous cleaning skills as compared to her cooking skills so we like many immigrant families my mom's side of the family not us not us particularly but several of her siblings lived on the same street and so we were at one house but our suitcases were down the street in another house So we had to go down the street and we open up the door to one of my aunt's house and the alarm goes off. And, I mean, my situ at this time was like 90, like, you know, 250 pounds. I mean, she's like the, like the least sort of scary-looking person in the world, like, you know, the gold bangles that all Lebanese women wear. And uh, the security guards come up, and, you know, here's David, you know, and me in our 20s and my situ. And... You know, we didn't look threatening. And so I'm just sort of explaining to them what happened because the alarm had gone off and we didn't know the code. And then I say, you know, my situ lives up the street. But she was gone. And what she had done is she was running back to her purse where in a Ziploc she had all of her papers. And she comes running out and she starts saying, I belong. I belong. Like as if these guys are going to, you know, take her back to Lebanon, you know. And it's like. 60 years, 70 years later, she's still, she's still carrying around in her ziplock some of those papers. It's remarkable, you know, this, this sense of you're still carrying around those papers. Wow.
0: What's your political role now? Because, you know, there aren't many—you uh, are a
3: Democrat. Yes.
0: And there aren't many prominent brown Democrats. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I've done some advising to, in particular, the Senate Democrats. It's very important to me— that Senate Democrats, that all Democrats feel confident talking about safety and security, because a lot of them want to run from it and talk about schools and whatever. Okay, that's important. Trust me, I'm a mother of three kids, you know, and a public school mom. But I know that the next six months are going to be about national security, um, especially in light of Brussels. But I think it's really important for critics of people who would survey Muslim communities or people who wouldn't let Muslims into the country to argue that those attitudes are actually what make us unsafe. If you ask me as a security person, sort of what has kept America relatively safe from the ethnic and racial killings that have swept most of the world for most of mankind, you know, I'd have to admit part of it is geography, but the real reason why is our capacity to integrate the other. If you just look at our community, it is invested in the American experience. Integrating and working with communities is the reason why we are a safer country and is the smartest long term strategy for our security. We have to maintain our American spirit because if we, and who we are as Americans, because if we don't, it's not that the terrorists will win, it will be that we will be less safe.
0: How do you reconcile that with having family members who support Trump?
3: Oh, that's so interesting. So I I have to be clear here. They're not immediate family members. But so one of Trump's appeals... Is clearly by making people forget that they likely were from immigrant communities uh, and that they came over and Lebanese Christians have a conservative bent I would guess that Lebanese community is probably more Republican than not and views themselves as I think is very true of a lot of immigrant communities view themselves as different than the immigrants that Donald Trump is talking about right this oh those are those immigrants the rapists the Mexicans whatever Donald Trump has had immigrants Wives, but he he clearly has something in his head that can distinguish them from the ones he's talking about, uh, and we're all the same. I mean, that's just what I have to remind people.
0: When you say that we don't otherwise, are you talking about people on the ground in communities, or are you talking about the government? Because it does it does seem like we kind of do that to each other. We're kind of elbowing each other. Yeah, though. yeah.
3: But I think it's the government. I think it's a sense. I think uh, the experience of a lot of most immigrant communities when they come to the U.S., and that might be changing because of the economic issues, is that the basic criteria of advancement, commitment to your community, education, working hard, will you will have a good life. And I think that dream, we know there are major exceptions to it, but that dream has been a dream that has been accessible to every immigrant group. You go to Europe and that's just not true.
0: Then how do you deal with the fear on the
3: other side? That... My feeling about that is you can be on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. I mean, we all know where it's going. Like, you know, whites are going to be a minority population. It's not, You can't stop demographics. I, I think anyone who is under 30 sees the world. It's like gay marriage and knows where history is going.
0: Yeah, but this fear is having power right now. It is. Now. It
3: was and look, it's not like it's a straight line. I mean, it's not like the trajectory of progressive acceptance has been, you know, all roses and daisies for the course of America's history. But if you just look at the trajectory of of our history, it's it's tends to move forward. What could he actually do? Yeah, I know it's like sort of a joke like, you know, oh, we're going to all move to Canada. I have much more confidence in America's institutions. We have survived bad presidents. We have survived crazy presidents. We have survived incompetent presidents. We have even survived racist presidents. We will survive this one too if it comes to that. Paris, San Bernardino, Brussels. well We're in a new phase of a world that I know much better than most. Right. And I'm still calm. Really? Yeah, I am. I mean, i, I you know, but mostly because I've never Deluded myself into believing that societies like ours were risk-free.
0: Do you think that just with the rhetoric, Trump is doing harm? Because it yeah,
3: I mean, I think there's no question about it. I think he's doing harm to us internally. He's doing harm to us abroad. But what is animating someone to support Trump? Well, we, you could just say it's racism or Nazism or whatever. I don't. Those words. I don't like those words. I don't like calling Trump Hitler. I don't think. I don't like those words because. A huge proportion of the American public is finding something appealing in him. And us liberals on the East Coast can say those are just the idiotic racists. It's not true. And so unless we also have a narrative that is appealing to them, that we have better ideas about the future of America, about immigration, about the economy, uh, then he deserves to win. I honestly mean that. I don't believe 50, I don't believe that many people are, I think they're able to conceptualize Trump in a different way that lets them justify some of his flaws. But if we progressives just say, oh, this is just a racist country, well, shame on us. Shame on us. And he's just not a pitler. It's just, no. We have an obligation to create the better narrative.
0: So we can't write racists off. Yeah. That's so interesting. Why would you? Because it's hard to deal with for people who they get emotional. Yeah, but I mean...
3: I just think racist is a very strong term. And I think for a country that elected Barack Obama, I mean, I just I, I think it's very difficult to say that what's animating Trump or the support of Trump is all racism by its adherents. Now, he's racist, no question in my mind. But I, I just I don't I don't. I think it's I think it's just foolish to say that we're smarter and better, and they're not. I think that's not pro- that's not a good way to write off a huge proportion of the American public.
0: Integration has been messy and emotional and incomplete. And it's not getting easier, but it's happening. So, as politicians talk about an increasingly divided America, just keep that in mind. I'm going to reserve the right to return to this subject because I've only begun to understand it. Let me know if you think of more angles to this I should cover or people I should talk to, or talk to me yourself. For now, thanks very much for listening. I'm Rupa Shinoy, and this has been Otherhood.